to Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer a heretic. I'm your host, Matthew J. DiStefano, and for the next hour, I'll be your Sherpa to nowhere in particular. Nowhere in particular. Hey, what the fuck is happening, everybody? It's uh, episode five of this stupid little fucking podcast. I think it's episode five. Uh, Either way, it is another lovely day here. Going to do some podcasting for you all. And we have, I think we have a good show today. I'm pretty excited about this one. We are going to give... Keith Giles, a call today and see if he can't talk about his new book, Jesus Unexpected, something, something, something or another to something, something. I don't remember the uh, the subtitle. Sorry, Keith. But we're going to call him up and we're going to talk about the end times. And he is going to have to convince me that in spite of COVID and murder hornets and Trump and global warming, and the depopulation of the bees, and did I mention COVID? That we're not in the end times. That uh, this isn't this isn't the rapture. This isn't the thing I feared uh, throughout my entire childhood. Because <laughs> if you told me when I was a kid that in 2020 all these things were going to be happening, I would have certainly believed that this was the tribulation, the seven-year period where we. Uh, we're in the midst of, of the shit, and then after that, we're going to get raptured. Actually, I believed I believed uh, the rapture came before, but apparently no one got raptured. No one was good enough. Only our boy Jesus made it. <laughs> He's up there by himself, left, left the rest of us schmucks down here to deal with, uh, with the nonsense. So we're going to talk to him. Um, I'm excited today because uh, my book, From the Blood of Abel, uh, was ranked uh, number three in its category on Amazon, uh, just just ahead of Clive Staples Lewis. You may have heard of him. Um, C.S. Lewis is what he goes by. Uh, I, some of you, I'm sure, have heard of him. He he was an author back in the day. Wrote the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Kind of popular. So uh, I'm outselling him for for 12 minutes of time. So that's good. Um, that's that makes me happy. Makes me happy to know that um, I can contribute to paying my bills <laughs> for at least at least I can pay off my my Netflix subscription, maybe Hulu too this month. I don't know. Um, so I'm excited about that. So go pick that up. Go pick up Heretic as well. Both of them are like four bucks on Kindle, on Amazon, three ninety nine to be exact. I have also uh, the Bonfire Sessions Spring and Summer. Well, I don't just have it. Mike Machuga. My uh, partner in for life, my ride or die homie, is also a co-author of that book. So go pick up both of those, summer and spring, uh, for ninety-nine cents on Kindle as well. If you want to support this show and support my work in general, please head over to Patreon.com/slash/MJDistefano. I will link in the show notes. Um, I, I have talked about my philosophy. My philosophy is this. Give everything up front as cheap or free as you can and hope that people on the back end support you. 
So if you're one of those people who resonates with what I talk about, who likes my work, who wants to support me, who has even a dollar a month, head on over to patreon.com slash mjdistefano and become a monthly subscriber. You'll unlock a bunch of cool stuff as well. If you want to give more, that's great. You'll unlock even more. So with that being said, I think I got all that bullshit out of the way and we are going to hit up my boy old man giles right now hello keith giles hey matt how you doing man hey what's happening how are you uh, well, let's see. Uh, I woke up with some pretty major lower back pain the other day and I'm kind of recovering from that. And, um, my dad's in the hospital with pneumonia and, um, oh, so <laughs> I'm sorry. I, there's that. But, um, other than that, I'm doing good. I, hey, I just, my book just came out. So that's good. That's the good part. Your book just did come out. Is it the, um, the fifth in the unseries? This is number five. Yep. Number five in the Jesus Un series. Jesus Unexpected, ending the end times to become the second coming. So, yep. Cool. Well, out. that's actually, that's what I want to talk about because I, um, well, we have, we have a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. We have murder hornets. Mm-hmm. We have racial tension. Mm-hmm. We have global warming. We have the depopulation of the bees and we have perpetual war. So please convince <laughs> me that this is not the end times. <laughs> right. And then there's also double hurricanes. Yeah. Hitting. Uh, the yeah. Gulf Coast. Oh, and fire NATOs and fire NATOs in California <laughs> and fire NATOs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and th- isn't there supposed to be a meteor that's going to strike the earth right before the election? Thank God. Yeah. That, maybe that's going to end it. <laughs> Let's just end it, please. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's like, you're right. So this is either the best possible time to put out a book about the end times or the worst possible time to put out a book on the end times. Because on the one hand, yes, everybody is sort of, t- the radar is tuned to the fact that, hey, maybe this is some, this is the end, this is the apocalypse. Uh, and they'd want to pick up my book. But then once they get my book, what they're going to find out is what I'm what I'm actually trying to convince them is that this isn't the uh the end of the world at least not in any sort of biblical prophecy sense of the of the word so yeah the, i have a bit of a challenge yeah well are you up for the challenge i think so yeah i mean yeah I, I think i really am so you know what i do is i go through the first half of the book is sort of like i have to do i have to kind of move all this other crap out of the way so i can get to the the middle to the end of the book is my, is the is the fun part is the like this is what i really want to talk about but yeah so I, the first half of the book is sort of like okay let's first let's talk about where this came from this is this john nelson darby this is all, all this end times rapture theory stuff that we i mean i grew up with it i was told this was the bible this was the only yeah. way to think of it and yeah. then you then you find out that oh by the way this started in like 1850 like oh so this is kind of pretty much a 20th century thing phenomenon. Like it's not something that the church believed for over 1,850 years. Um, That's a shock. So, I mean, that alone should give us some, some peace, like, Oh, wait a minute, hold on. So we've only recently as a, as a church, as a, as a, as a faith, as a religion kind of embraced this view of the end times. Yeah. It's pretty new. Um, So I kind of explained how that, where that came from, where Darby came up with it which is kind of crazy, by the way. It's like he fell off. First, first he fell off his horse and hit his head. 
Uh, and then that's he how, heard, hey, that that's how all good <laughs> theology starts. Keith. I think yeah, that's that's a great beginning right there. Fell off his horse, hit its head <laughs> on a rock, and then suddenly goes, "Hey, I got this great idea." Um, but actually, he also uh, there was some teenage girl that was at a Bible prop not Bible prophecy because that wasn't a thing at the time. It was a uh, sort of a spiritual gifts conference in England, and uh, she had a dream or a vision or something about a double second coming or double return of Christ. And anyway, he sort of like took her crazy vision and found scripture verses that supported it and then kind of created his own little thing. Um, anyway, and they got popularized by people like, uh, Deal Moody and I mean, really what helped them was the, uh, the Schofield reference Bible. Schofield. Yeah. Who, uh, not only dropped in the notes, under those prophetic passages to, to explain to you what it meant, but added in, this is really the killer added in sort of chapter headings or or headings in scripture. Like Jesus explains the rapture or predicts the rapture in Matthew 24. (laughs) So it's like, well, it says right there in the Bible, Jesus is predicting the rapture. Right. Uh, And then, um, and then here's the other backwards thing that happened was this, this got so popular with the general public in America. Like people just ate it up with a spoon and I'm not making this up. People literally said, wouldn't it be great if we had some scholarship to back this up? Like, yeah, why don't we like create, you know, like a Bible school or a seminary? So that's where Dallas Bible Theological Seminary comes from because they wanted to sort of legitimize this theology and sort of backwards. It's not like the theology sort of create was created and then the people accepted it. It was like the people accepted it, thought it was cool and amazing. And then they said, let's have some scholarship to make this sound legitimate. And then they kind of backed their way into it. Um, then you got like Talbot and Moody and all these kind of uh, seminaries that now are kicking out pastors who are trained to read the Bible this way. And then voila, you end up with a few, you know, a few years later, you end up with Christians in America who think this is the only way to understand Bible prophecy. So, yeah, I, I try to go through the book and show you then let's look at these prophecies that Darby claims are about the second coming or the rapture of the end times and, and show you that it's that's not what it's about at all. So that's what I do in the book. Yeah, and it's your contention that all of that kind of stuff was wrapped up when Rome took out Jerusalem, right? Pretty much, yes, yes. Uh, that's what I do believe. Uh, I believe that's what Daniel was uh, foreshadowing, was the coming of the Messiah who would bring an end to the age, not not an end of the world, uh, the end of the age. This is what Jesus talks about as well, the end of the age, not the end of the planet, <laughs> not the end of life on this planet. Uh, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so things like the Olivet Discourse uh, are are not predictions about the end of the world. It's, it's I mean, the beginning of the Olivet Discourse. It's How does it start? The, the, Jesus and the disciples are walking out of the temple. The disciples point to the temple and say, hey, look at this magnificent building. Isn't this amazing? Jesus says, hey, a day is coming soon. When not one stone will be left upon another and this temple will be thrown to the ground. And and they're like, oh my gosh, when will that happen? Tell us when that's going to happen. And then he tells them everything in the Olivet Discourse, which is a the answer to the question, in what way and what will be the signs that the destruction of this temple and Jerusalem uh, are coming soon? And then he says, he gives them those signs using apocalyptic imagery stolen or borrowed from Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and all these other Old Testament prophets, which again, talk about the, the sun not giving its light and the moon turning to blood and all these kind of images, but this is apocalyptic hyperbole. Right. Right. That's it. That's even, that's even how Josephus describes the events of 70 CE, right? 
I mean, even you know, Josephus, the Jewish historian, he he like it describes it all in like the same way the Book of Revelation does. Yes, and and I I actually go through pretty pretty long section in the book where I go through jo- Josephus talks about these seven signs. Uh-huh. That, he, that he says, if, if people don't know who Josephus is, he was a Jewish uh, man who lived in the first century during the time of Christ, um, during AD 70. And, um, and he was a Ro- he worked for the Romans. He was a Roman historian. And he chronicled the before, during, and after the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's not sympathetic to Christ, probably is completely no. unaware of anything Jesus had said in the Alabama Discourse. Um, and he goes through what he calls the seven signs that God gave the Jewish people prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 870. And they align pretty, pretty well with what Jesus talked about uh, in the Olivet Discourse. So to me, that's a missing piece. If you don't have that, if you just read the Olivet Discourse or you read Revelation or you read, you know, First Thessalonians, you think, wow, won't it be great when those things happen? Because in the in your Bible, it doesn't say, oh, by the way, <laughs> these things did happen, and here's how they happened, and then you can connect the dots. So that's what I'm doing in my book also, is showing you historically through Josephus and Tacitus and some other Roman historians, um, the way they describe the destruction of Jerusalem verifies that Jesus was correct in, in what he predicted would happen. Yeah, I think, um, so that would be like basically full preterism, right? Yeah, you know what? I, I went through the stages where... I mean, originally I believed all that stuff. You know, I've got I've got that book, Eighty Eight Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988, and uh, I believed it at the time. And of course, it didn't happen. So, but I went through the, the a phase where I did believe that that Jesus was coming back any minute now, and I'm looking for signs. And is it Saddam Hussein? Is it Gorbachev? Is it you know Putin? Is it whoever? Um, well, then <clears throat> then I started learning about preter- partial preterism, which is the view that that almost everything. Uh, those prophecies have already been fulfilled in eighty seventy. So I, I already. So then I kind of moved in that direction. Full preterism. Uh, I, I was. I didn't go into full preterism until recently. Full preterism is the view that everything, including the return of Christ, the 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 second coming, if you will, has also been fulfilled. And but that the way it's been fulfilled is just not the way in a literal sense. It's more in a spiritual sense, which actually I think is is more exciting because it invites us into a story that's ongoing right now. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I am. I, I Maybe I take a little bit a different approach, or at least nuance my view. Um, at least when it comes to the book of Revelation, like I, I see that as basically being about the destruction of of Jerusalem and, and, and a critique of empire. Yeah. But I kind of allegorize it and say, it's like a critique of all empires, uh, future, current, present, past, everything. Yes. No, I agree with you. And I, I think, I mean, I'm honestly not a fan of revelation in general, just, just not because of the book itself. I think the book itself is fine. It's not the book. It's, it's how it has been so misunderstood and misused and mistaught over the years, over the centuries, really that, um, especially since 1830 um, that it's almost like we're better off without it because it's just, it's so damaging. But if we properly understand it, like you said, if we can, if we can take a step back or look at it from a different angle and see revelation as these two things, uh, one, just in general, an example of how Christ subverts empire, no matter like maybe specifically it's about how Christ subverts the Roman empire, 
but it's also how Christ subverts the, you know, the United Kingdom and, and Germany and the Huns and don't say America, brother, brother uh, and America, don't say America and the American empire. Yes, of course. Um, you know, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God. I mean, that's in revelation. That is the, I think the point that we should try to read it that way, not as some literal thing where, Hey, wait a minute. Are those, are murder hornets like these, uh, these centaurs with tails of scorpions that fly out of the ground and sting people? Like, no. Are they helicopters? Are those Black Hawk helicopters? No. Like, if you start to try and apply it to current events, as, as people have done since Darby uh, kind of invented this theology, uh, then you're on the run track and you're reading it wrong, and I think you're better off not reading it. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it is sort of um, – it's both. It's, it's a picture of how Christ's kingdom overthrows and subverts the empires of this world. It is also a story of, of an ongoing story, like the last couple of chapters of Revelation, I believe are not about it. Like New Jerusalem, I don't think that's a future event. I think it's now. I think it's telling us who we are now, what we are to do now, that we are the New Jerusalem, and we are the ones calling out to those outside saying, come, all who are thirsty, come and drink freely from the rivers of, of living water. Uh, and that and those gates are never shut. I don't really think that's an, an end times prophetic reality as much as that's a, a current events thing that that is what's happening now that's who we should be that's what we should be doing we're ministers of reconciliation uh we should be the ones that are calling those outside the kingdom to freely come and drink and and be healed and experience the love of christ i think if we all took that approach it, we would see um a lot of healing <laughs> i know i know for myself personally revelation did scare the you know the living yeah. crap out of me <laughs> uh, and, and a lot of, and a lot of other people, but, but also further, I think it makes, it makes our actions much more important. We don't have this like sort of, um, God's going to call us away. Let this earth burn anyway. Right. Approach. Like it makes us like take climate change very seriously. Yep. It makes us take, take ecological disasters more seriously. And, you know, the bulldozing of the Amazon forest and all that kind of stuff. Cause this is our home. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So this is the, to me, this is one of the major um, problems, you know, I think the things that concern me the most about the, this end times dispensational rapture theory is that it, it does a couple of things. Like you said, it sort of makes us say, let's just wait for Jesus to come back and fix things. Um, And, and then therefore we kind of sit around twiddling our thumbs because we are totally, we are, we have been told for, you know, for over a century, Christians in America have been told Jesus is coming back any minute now, any day now. Well, so it sort of creates this why bother uh, attitude when, about what's going on in the world. We're just, well, Jesus is going to come back and fix it. Why bother? Um, but it also paralyzes us. It prevents us from really stepping into our identity and our calling of who we are called to be. Like there's an amazing verse in Romans where Paul says, all creation is groaning not for Jesus to come back. What he says is all creation is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And I believe it's what that means is it's all creation is waiting and groaning for us to wake up and recognize our identity and our role and our part to play in this thing. Like I kind of call it the, the slow motion second coming of Christ. Christ, uh, Christ has been coming, uh, ever since, you know, uh, 2000 years ago, certainly at Pentecost, as he poured out his spirit on all flesh. And when he said, it's better for you if I go away, uh, 
that's that's what he meant. You know, we walk around going, no, 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 it's not better if he goes away. It'll be better when he gets back. And and that's contradicting what he said. No, he said it's better if I go away. And if we understood in what what that what that means, then we would uh, agree. Yes, it is better that he went away because now we are now the hands and feet of we are now the incarnation of Christ in the world, and and all creation is groaning for us to wake up and step into that and re- and walk in that. And we have a part to play. We we have a uh, in this way Christ is coming one person at a time as Christ incarnates each person right who wakes up and and gets it and steps into it and starts walking these things out. Um, that to me is the exciting part. So it's not like some bombastic movie we get to watch on the screen about tin headed dragons and some antichrist figure, giving everyone the mark of the beast and throwing them in concentration camps, like explosions and armies and wars. And, you know, this big, huge battle at the end of time with Jesus, with a sword coming out of his mouth and whoa, dude, this is awesome. It's, it's not that it's actually more, if we get it, if we get what it's really about, it's actually more like, someone going up to you personally and handing you a lightsaber and saying, do you want to overthrow the empire? Do you want to rescue the princess? Do you want to bring balance to the force? Because we need you. You, you matter. You have a role to play in this struggle. And that's exactly what it is. I I think that's what we, we should get that imagination that we are called to step into something. We have a role to play. Uh, It's important and crucial that we play our part, our small part in that role. And it really is a struggle to overthrow darkness and the empire and um and to bring if you will balance to the force like this is exactly what christ's plan is and if we miss it then we're just going to sit around twiddling our thumbs waiting for jesus to come back and fix it in the meantime he's going when are you going to wake up and get it yeah well good stuff your your book is super timely um in the age of murder hornets and COVID 19 (laughs) (laughs) i would encourage all all seven people listening to this podcast to pick up your book um jesus what is it? Unexpected? Jesus Unexpected, ending the end times to become the second coming. Yep. Bam. Just like that. Kindle and, and paperback, right? Yep. And audio to come. Audio to come. All right. Well, you can get that on Amazon. And oh, yeah. uh, we're, we're all fine. Books are sold. So thanks, Keith, for coming by. And uh, unless I'm raptured and you're left behind, I'll see you out there, man. I'll see you on the Heretic Happy Hour. Yep. Sure will, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was the one and only Keith Giles. Uh, good friend, good colleague. Been grinding on the uh, the heretic happy hour for, uh, oh my God, it's been three years. I just realized that uh, we started in, in September of 2017. Wow. So congrats to us, Pat, patting ourselves on the back right there. It's like, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, we lost Jamal. One of the band members stepped aside, and Katie and Derek have filled in admirably. Um, so, you know, it's like a band. When, uh, when, one, when one decides to leave, you, you got to find someone else. We found some good players. And, um, you know, three years for a band to stick together, for a podcast crew to stick together. With Raphael running the running the show, I, I think that's pretty good. So uh, shout out to us. Um, but this is not just a show about me tooting our own horn. Uh, today I wanted to talk about this the CDC report that people are kind of losing their shit over. And if you haven't heard yet, the CDC 
I guess, revised their numbers or updated their numbers and reported that of the hundred and I think 180,000 people who have died because of COVID in the U.S., only 6% died with COVID-19 as the only thing listed on the death certificate. And some people, particularly COVID deniers, people who think COVID is a hoax or it's way overblown, oh, bleh, case of the mush mouth, way overblown, are kind of sharing this on social media as if it proves that what they've been saying all along, namely that this is a pandemic, um, they've been sharing that everywhere. And, and my contention is that they just don't know how to read the data. They have an agenda and they're, and they're grasping at straws in order to piecemeal information together to fit that agenda. And what I mean by that is that you have to understand the way medicine works. And I will premise this by saying I'm not a doctor. I only play one on TV. No, I don't even do that. But I'm not a doctor. But I, I, I think I understand how to interpret data. I might not have the book knowledge in order to be a doctor, but I have the wisdom in order to talk about these things in a responsible way. And what I've done is I've read articles on both sides of the story, people who think that this is proving that it's some sort of hoax or way overblown, and then I've talked to, I've talked to doctors, I've talked to my wife, who is a registered nurse, about how this stuff actually works, because they, they would say that, you know, there, people aren't interpreting the CDC data correctly, because what happens typically, and this is what I understand, what happens typically with COVID, with a lot of diseases, think along the lines of HIV, what happens is that people don't actually die of COVID. And unless you're elderly, I think only a small percentage of people are actually dying of COVID. What happens is COVID is causing things like respiratory failure, adult respiratory dis distress syndrome, ARDS, cardiac arrest, and things like that. So it's not the COVID that kills you. It's the COVID that leads to your demise by causing something. And I'll quote a doctor. I'll just read something. Let me find it. Let me find it. A uh, Scott Brownstein, Bronstein, a medical doctor at Solus Health LA, is going to explain this. And I quote, any clinician who has had experience deciding on what to list as cause of death on a death certificate, as I have had to do for the past 15 plus years, understands that the diagnosis chosen, diagnosis chosen involve a great deal of discretion and judgment. In most cases, there are multiple contributing diagnoses, and it is common practice to list more than one factor. He goes on. Underlying diabetes or coronary artery disease are common diseases that contribute to mortality even when the immediate trigger for death was pneumonia, influenza, or some other infectious process. So what he's saying is that 
There are multiple things that leads to someone's death. In the case of someone having diabetes, that gets listed and contributes to their mortality even if they technically died of pneumonia. Again, think of HIV. People have HIV, unmanaged HIV. It breaks down their immune system and gets rid of their immunity. So that eventually, someone could die of the common cold. Now, could you say, they didn't die of HIV? Well, uh, if you want to be flippant, can you say that they technically died of common cold or pneumonia or the flu? Sure. But they died of that because they didn't have immunity to fight it off because they had HIV. This stuff with COVID, we knew all along. I've, know, I've known it. How have you not known it, Mr. or Mrs. whoever shares this, this data as if it proves that COVID's a hoax? I knew since it was, you know, in America or in the world, and we were talking about it since March or February, that if you had comorbidities, you had a likelier chance of having a complicated disease process that would potentially lead to your demise. If you had hypertension, if you were obese, if you had diabetes, if you, had, if you were immunocompromised, if you had lung disease, you had a higher chance of dying. And that is what this data is showing. This data is not sitting here saying that only 6% of the deaths that we had originally thought was from COVID is actually from COVID. That's not what the data is saying. The data is simply saying that COVID only, COVID only deaths make up 6%. I'll again quote this Dr. Bronstein. He says, many clinicians will list the physiologic process which caused death. For example, 55,000 of the death certificates had respiratory failure listed as cause of death. And we know that this is one of the most common mechanisms by which COVID-19 leads to death. We also know that in over 160,000 of the 180,000 plus deaths caused by COVID-19 in the U.S., COVID-19 was one of the diagnoses that was listed on the death certificate and was felt to be the trigger for mortality. So again, again, this is simple stuff. COVID is typically leading to other things that cause your death. And let's just take deaths out of the equation. Do you understand that people are having long-term lung and heart issues that we do not yet know because we haven't had time go long long enough to understand how far in the future this is going to impact people who come down with covid it was uh, uh rodriguez i don't follow the red sox as much anymore but rodriguez was their best pitcher last year and he cannot play this year because of the complications after getting over covid i think he had myocarditis so inflammation of the heart so he is not able to play baseball this year because he had COVID. Uh, this, and, and this isn't like a, I'm, I'm afraid. This isn't a live your life in fear. This is just the reality of the situation. It's serious. You could take things serious without living in fear. I'm so sick and fucking tired of people saying, oh, you wear a mask. You're living in fear. I'm not going to, I'm choosing not to live in fear. Well, then don't fucking live in fear. But, but still, Take precautions. 
when you strap on your seatbelt, you know, if you see someone strapping on your seatbelt, you're not going, well, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to not have a seatbelt today. That's not living in fear, dumbasses. That's being precautious and wise. This shit pisses me off so much because it's so dumb. It's seriously, it like, if, if you're not familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, think of it like a graph. On the, uh, oh, what's the X and Y axes? I think it's the Y axis, the one that's going up and down. <laughs> this shows how, how far removed from math class I've been. So you've got confidence, low and high. And then as you go down the X axis toward, you know, uh, parallel to the ground going that way, you've got knowledge. And when you get a little bit of confidence, your knowledge, I mean, yeah, when you've got to know a little bit of knowledge, your confidence shoots straight up. And so people with a little bit of knowledge have a lot of confidence. So they're way overconfident. And as you get more knowledge, you, you kind of go down and then you start to go up again. So there's this point at the start of this graph where people with a little bit of knowledge are super confident and they're talking all this shit, but they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And it's it's kind of like the Bible. People are just pointing to this, uh, this CDC report as if it's self-explanatory. Just the way they quote Bible verses, or proof text is what we call it. Proof text the Bible as if it's self-evident, what it means. And there's nothing more annoying to me than proof texting anything. I find it extremely, fantastically arrogant to sit here and think that whatever you say it means, it means. And that's all people are doing. The CDC report is has to be exegeted, has to be interpreted, and it has to be interpreted interpreted by people who know what the fuck they're doing and, and know how to interpret data. We're in this age of clickbait bullshit where we see a headline, only 6% died of COVID only. That means only 6% of COVID deaths are really from COVID. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't, dum-dum. It doesn't mean that. It means that only 6% had COVID only on the death certificate. And as Dr. Bronstein said, 55,000 also had respiratory failure. What the fuck do you think caused the respiratory failure? I'll wait. And the reason this makes me so upset is that people are living their lives as if this isn't a thing and they're putting others at risk. They're thinking, oh, I don't have to wear a mask because they changed their mind on it and now the data is showing it's not as dangerous. Well, they changed their mind on it because that's how science works. Someone in the back, that's how science works. Science updates as it goes because it gets new data and it gets new studies and it gets better data and it looks at the studies and it says, oh, we were wrong. Let's revise the hypothesis. Let's go back and test it. Did you skip science class for four years in high school and how did you get a degree or a diploma if you skipped all those classes? I got a C in some of my science classes and I know this. If I can know this, then how can you not know this? Or do you not care? My strength was not in science. I'm a good writer and I have a philosophical mind. But I am no scientist. But I understand how the scientific process works. How the scientific method works. 
To the untrained eye, science looks like it doesn't know what the fuck it's talking about. But here's the difference between science and religion. Science updates. Science changes. Science looks, re-looks re and looks and re-evaluates the data as it goes. And then it doesn't double down on its findings. It revises them. The, the religious approach is you stick with your guns and you double down anytime new evidence comes along. And that's not good. That's not good and it's not healthy and it's not wise. And so some people are taking a religious approach. They presupposed that this was not a big deal. This was a pandemic. This is a hoax. It's not really dangerous. And then they're cherry picking data, misinterpreting data, and then misinforming everyone who follows them on socials or everyone who follows their blog or anyone who follows their YouTube channel. And they're leading people astray all the while calling everyone who doesn't agree with them sheeple. This is the state we're in. This is the age we're in. This is the postmodern dilemma. Post-postmodern dilemma. Where just because you approach truth subjectively, that means there apparently is no, no such thing as truth and anything goes. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell people. I've given up uh, commenting on people's social media when they, when they spread this shit. Because they will not listen. They will not take into account that they possibly could be interpreting the data wrong. They will double down when you show them stuff from Johns Hopkins or Cleveland Clinic or New England Journal of Medicine. They know better than them. They know better than these prestigious places because they've already got it in their mind that they're right. And they've already got it, got it in their mind that the places that disagree with them are bought off or they're getting more because of COVID. They're a hospital who gets paid more because of COVID. Well, yeah, if someone has COVID and is on a ventilator, they get paid more than if I have to get stitches in the ER. Yeah, they get paid more for a vented COVID patient from Medicare. That's how things work. It's a pandemic. It's a complicated disease. When my daughter was three, she busted her chin and had to get stitches. The bill was a lot, but it wasn't that much. You can't sit here and say, well, you know, they shouldn't get more if it was a vent, if she was a vented COVID patient. This is just how it works. There's not some grand conspiracy that all the doctors who are putting down the diagnosis codes are doing it so that the hospital can get paid more. You do realize that when something is coded as something, the hospital gets paid. The doctor doesn't necessarily get paid more. A lot of doctors are, are salaried. So apparently the doctors are in on this grand conspiracy for the hospital to get paid more. I just don't understand how this works in your brain. Again, back to Dunning-Kruger. You have a tiny bit of knowledge and an overwhelming amount of confidence and, and you're acting as if, as if confidence is enough to spew your bullshit. It's not. And it shouldn't be. And, and you're being harmful and you're putting other people at risk. You're not going to lose your freedoms just by wearing a mask. This isn't the slippery slope of how we take the mark of the beast. This is putting on a mask, which at worst is an inconvenience. And at best is saving actual lives. 
at worst, you get a little bit of irritation on your face and it sucks and it doesn't look good and you sweat too much. So you maybe you break out and get some zits. At best, you are not spreading a disease that has killed 180,000 people plus in the United States alone and is leading to long-term problems for people who were otherwise fairly healthy. Like a lot of those Big Ten, I think, football players who were in great shape, obviously, who now have inflammation of the heart. And how long that's going to last, I don't know. It depends on a lot of things. Will they heal? Probably. Is it going to suck in the meantime? Probably. So take it seriously. You can take it seriously without living your life in fear. I just refuse to do that. I'm going to fight for freedoms. No, you're not. You're just, you're kind of being selfish. Because you don't like it. Because you think it's a pandemic. And it's not. Now, if you do think we have overreacted to this, that is an argument you possibly can make. You can make the argument that the fallout of shutting down since March has taken a huge toll on our mental health and exacerbated the already problematic opioid crisis because the data has shown that that is happening. Suicide rates are going up. Economic distress is going up. Businesses are shutting down and they won't come back. Some of them. Just make the argument without misinterpreting the data. Make the argument by just making the argument. Because you can make the argument. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but we should have the argument. But let's have a solid debate where we're not misconstruing the facts and we don't know how to read data. Sit here and say, I understand 180,000 people have died and I understand it's a bad pandemic. However, I think we should open up because the economic fallout is going to be worse than if we don't open it up. And the mental health problems that we're going to run into are not worth it. Make that argument. Fine. Fine. We can debate that if you want. We can have that debate. That sounds like a healthy debate. It's the debate we should have. Not by pushing data aside and saying, fuck it, I don't care what the data says. I'm going to double down on it. No. That is the wrong way of going about it. There's a right way and a wrong way. There's a good way and a better way and a bad way. And a lot of people are opting for the bad way because I think we're just becoming so binary. We're drawing, we're drawing lines in the sand. We're saying, I'm in this tribe, you're in that tribe. So I'm in this tribe, which means X, Y, and Z. And you're in that tribe, which means A, B, and C. And we can't even agree on anything. As if you couldn't agree that, that 180,000 people have died and that we should still open up. As if you can't do that. Some people are not even taking that approach. I want to open up too. I want things to be opened up. But guess what? We'll open up much quicker if we all wear a goddamn mask. That's the thing. If we all took social distancing seriously, if we all took these precautions seriously, we'd actually open up quicker. We wouldn't just keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Because, because we're inconvenienced and our freedoms are going to be taken 
They're going to take my freedoms. First, it's the mask. And then it's going to be the implantable chip. That's the mark of the beast right there. And I'm not going to do that. I'll be goddamn before I do that. This is fucking America, not some commie, fucking socialist, Marxist hellhole. Fuck that. No. No, that's bullshit. So, that's that's my that's my thing to say today. <laughs> I hope I didn't offend anyone. Um, what else? I think that's enough. That's enough for today. Uh, go pick up Keith Giles' book, Jesus Unexpected. Unless you're raptured out of here before that. Another shout out to Keith for coming on and talking with me. A shout out to those who wear a mask and socially distance themselves from others. In spite of the fact that it's hard as shit and it sucks really bad. Uh, Shout out to everyone, including myself on the Heretic Happy Hour for going three years. Um, Shout out to Ralph for being uh, the best publisher out there, Choir Publishing. And shout out to all of my producers, everyone who is a Patreon supporter. Patreon.com slash MJDistefano. If you want to become one of those producers and help produce all the content that, that I put out there. Peace and love. If you disagree with me, hit me up on socials. If you want to tell me I'm a fucking asshole for uh, having a strong opinion on this, that's fine too. I might not listen, and that's okay. All right, have a good one, and uh, oh, one last thing, one last thing. Uh, If you're a football fan, proper football, English football, soccer, I'm starting up Football Fridays on this podcast. They will be bonus episodes on wherever I stream this, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, check it out. I'm going to be talking to some friends of mine who are also football supporters. Football fans support different clubs in England. And uh, if you do listen to the show on well, on any platform, head on over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's called now. Rate and review. Those things are helpful. Thank you. Peace and love. Talk to you next week. <laughs>